listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hi, we're the Delarocos, and we'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, in both English and Polish. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rever in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jeśli więc w Chrystusie jest jakaś zachęta, Jakaś pociecha miłości, jakaś wspólnota ducha, jakieś współczucie i zmiłowanie. Dopełnijcie radości mojej i bądźcie jednej myśli, mając tę samą miłość, zgodni, ożywieni jednomyślnością. I nie czyńcie nic skutliwości ani przez wzgląd na próżną chwałę, lecz w pokorze uważajcie jedni drugich za wyższych od siebie. Niechaj każdy baczy nie tylko na to, co jego, lecz i na to, co cudze. Takiego bądźcie względem siebie usposobienia, jakie było w Chrystusie Jezusie, który chociaż był w postaci Bożej, nie upierał się zachłannie przy tym, aby być równym Bogu, lecz wyparł się samego siebie, przyjął postać sługi i stał się podobny ludziom, a okazawszy się z postawy człowiekiem, Uniżył samego siebie i był posłuszny aż do śmierci, i to do śmierci krzyżowej. Dlatego też Bóg wielce go wywyższył i obdarzył go imieniem, które jest ponad wszelkie imię, aby na imię Jezusa zginało się wszelkie kolano na niebie i na ziemi i pod ziemią, i aby wszelki język wyznawał, że Jezus Chrystus jest Panem ku chwale Boga Ojca. This is the word of the Lord. Faith Church, I'm Pastor Joey. Some of you know that uh, I'm kind of a comics guy growing up as a kid. Uh, back when we got the paper, uh, paper, uh, I would read the comics every morning over breakfast. I mean, I devoured like Calvin and Hobbes and Foxtrot and Farside and things like that. But one of my favorites is this intentionally minimalist, like uh, black and white, stick figure, no faces uh, comic that got famous for a single panel joke uh, a few years back. Uh, there's a guy, it, it, you picture this, there's a guy sitting uh, at his computer at a desk and someone off uh, outside the panel is saying, are you coming to bed? 
And the guy at the computer is like, I can't. This is important. And the, per the person outside the, the screen says, what? And he's looking at the computer. Someone on the internet is wrong. <laughs> Have you ever done that? been the guy who can't go to bed or can't focus on work or can't engage with your family because someone on the internet is wrong? Or, or maybe it's not someone on the internet. Maybe it's your neighbor with like the forest of yard signs. Uh, or it's the coworker who always wants to get into some sort of political debate with you. Or it's the, the family member, right? That you, at the holidays especially, you're like, okay, nobody bring that up with grandpa. Or it could be somebody sitting on the other side of the worship center from you whose presence just fills you with angst. And I get it. People around me are wrong all the time. And it's hard to rest until they've been corrected, right? You know what I'm talking about. But have you ever started to worry that maybe there's somebody sitting at a computer somewhere and they're thinking someone on the internet is wrong, but they're thinking it about me? Or they're thinking it about you? Why do we automatically assume that when there's a disagreement, it's the other guy's fault? And which one of us is going to be the first one to kind of pause and look inside and see if maybe the problem isn't here instead of out there somewhere. These four weeks of Advent, we're taking a deep dive into one passage four times, uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're exploring this passage through the lens of the whole Bible storyline, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. And we're looking at Paul's call to unity in the church through that lens, what were we created for? What, what, how did we fall? What has Jesus redeemed us for? What will we be like in eternity? Uh, last week, we looked back at the essential nature of God in creation, how we were created to be unified, to be one people with one God. We found we, had to, we have to look backwards. If the church is going to come together in the midst of all the disunity around us, we have to look backwards in order to come together. And we lit this first candle of our Advent wreath, uh, to remind ourselves, we need to look backwards to the beginning of the story to see Paul's call to unity. And, and this week, uh, we light the second candle. Should have Jeff do this. There we go. We light the second candle of the wreath because we're moving to the second part of these, this four-part biblical storyline from the creation of how things were intended to be to the fall how things are now. According to the big, big story of the Bible, there was, a, there was a fall. Sin entered into the picture, uh, leading to disagreement and discord and disunity. So if we're going to come together, if the church is going to come together in the midst of the disunity around us, we have to recognize that the tendency towards disunity is in ourselves as well. We can't just point it out in others. That's easy. But we need to see it in ourselves, which is much harder. So if you're taking notes, key ideas up on the screen. To come together, we have to look inward. 
We saw last week, if we're going to come together, we have to look backwards to the beginning. This week, if we're going to come together, we have to look inward. We have to look at ourselves. We can't just point out what's wrong in other people. We have to see what's wrong inside ourselves first. Look inward, acknowledge our part in the disunity around us. So, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to focus in on just verses 3 and 4 this week, as as we look inward in order to figure out how to come together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, as we look at these two verses, we're going to see the Apostle Paul showing us what behaviors break unity and what behaviors help make unity, unity breakers and unity makers. So if you're ready, and even if you're not, let's jump in. Let's go. We're going to start with unity breakers, looking at verse 3. Actually, the first half of verse 3 and the first half of verse 4 show us three different unity breakers. Look at verse 3. Paul says after, you know, verse 2 saying, hey, if you want to make me happy, here's how you do it. Be unified. Now he gives a command. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And two unity breakers immediately come to the surface, the first being selfish ambition ambition. But what's one of the things that breaks unity? Selfish ambition, that sense of competition that looks at every situation as an opportunity for me to get ahead, for you to fall behind. An opportunity for me to elevate myself above the rivals that are relevant, that desire to win Not to win in order to serve or benefit others, but to win in order to serve and benefit myself. You can see how an attitude like this breaks unity. Imagine you're the eighth person in line to get a slice of pizza, and someone ahead of you in line took two. So there's nothing left for you. What happens to a group when there are individuals within that group who are willing to disadvantage the whole and disadvantage others in order to get a little extra for themselves? Hey, I'm hungry. I deserve two slices. What happens to unity with attitudes like that? This is the selfish ambition that Paul is warning about, a sense of striving to possess regardless of the cost to others. That's the first unity breaker, selfish ambition. The second is right after it and very similar in the translation I read, do nothing from selfish ambition, it's rendered conceit. Selfish ambition or conceit. You you may hear it in other translations like was read, uh, vain conceit. That's because the the Greek word behind it is is the word empty glory. Do nothing for empty glory or uh, vain glory, another word for it. Which, this is more than just like the prideful, I'm better than everyone. There's, there's more to it than that. I know vainglory is kind of an older idea. We don't talk about all that much. So I'll put the definition up on the screen for you. Essentially, vainglory is the excessive desire for glory or recognition on the basis of unworthy or improper things. So Paul warns us, Do nothing out of a selfish desire to move yourself ahead of others, and don't do anything out of an excessive desire for glory or recognition. Because you can see how those attitudes would break unity. So vainglory is, that's what happens when we try to uh, elevate ourselves, make ourselves visible, you know, get other people to notice the good things that we do. We, we, We need to be recognized or acknowledged uh, like, 
When my wife goes to run errands and while she's gone, I do the dishes for her and then when she gets home, she doesn't notice. So I have to point it out. Did you notice I did the dishes for you, right? Because the very worst thing is for me to do something good and have no one notice. Come on guys, you're with me on this. Or vainglory is when we try to get people to think that we are a certain way even when we're not. You're inviting company over for dinner and you're like, oh my gosh, I, these, I want these people to think that I'm, I'm clean and neat and organized. So quick kids, get anything that, that's loose and shove it in that closet. So they come in, they're like, oh, this is so nice and neat and clean and organized. And you're like, yeah, I, I fake it well, right? Or, or, or vainglory, it's, it's like needing so badly to be recognized that we'll grab onto just anything that we can use for recognition. I've got the latest phone, or I'm the kind of person who doesn't need the latest phone. I'm still rocking this thing from five years ago. Or insisting that everyone addresses you as doctor so-and-so. This is how every one of those examples you can see is an attempt to take yourself and kind of elevate, right? Get yourself up on a pedestal, or if not a pedestal, at least one rung higher to be looked up to, to be recognized, to be seen as someone to be looked up to, someone who's better than, to be exalted, to be gloried. You can see how that breaks unity, when each of us is going around trying to get everyone else to tell us that we're better than they are. Selfish ambition and vainglory are two of the worst unity breakers. But there's more. Look at verse 4. Uh, there's one more, Paul writes. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but, and he gives the alternative, but we don't need to go there yet because we're focusing on the first half. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. The th- third unity breaker is to look only, to look out only for yourself. Looking out only for yourself. If you're looking for a guide on how to break unity, this is how to do it. Make sure that you're only and always looking out for yourself, your tribe, your clan, your people, your group. Make sure you're always asking the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me and the people I care about? Why why should I do it if there's nothing in it for me? When we selfishly work for our own interests or, or, you know, just the interests of the people that are relevant to us or close to us... we automatically have to focus on the things that divide us instead of the things that bring us together. Uh, One author writing about this passage said, unity cannot coexist with individualism or partisanship. Unity cannot exist in a me-first or us-first world. So how can we expect to be unified or united with the people around us if we're constantly telling them that, hey, we've got needs that need to be met first. Hey, recognize me. I'm the the best one, the good one here. Or when we're constantly working to get what we need and ignoring everyone else. That's what breaks unity. Wanting to possess, wanting to be gloried, and making sure you make those things happen for yourself. Paul writes to this church in Philippi, and he says, if you want to be united, here's the things to watch out for. These are the things that are going to break 
your unity. So we can, we can pause for a minute and, and say, well, okay, uh, what does it have to do with us? What, what do we need to do to today about these unity breakers? And maybe the first is just to acknowledge, like if we, if we believe, if we buy into the, the storyline of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, recreation, if we, you know, if we internalize that story, it should not surprise us to see sin, to see disunity, to see these unity breakers in the world around us right? Because the world has fallen. But even more so, if we, if we internalize that Bible storyline, it should not surprise us to see these unity breakers in ourselves, right? Because we are fallen. Most of the time, we tend to think that it's the people out there that have it bad. They're the ones who aren't as, lightened, as enlightened as me. They're the ones who haven't learned as much as me. They're the ones who are fallen and are broken. I'm the one who's been picked up, cleaned up, and redeemed. But the breakers, the unity breakers, are inside of us as well. So let's start by looking there. Some questions. Do you see any of these unity breakers in yourself? Do you see a tendency in yourself towards selfish ambition? towards constantly striving and working to get ahead, working harder than you should, sacrificing more than you should, giving more than you should in order to get what you need in order to feel confident or safe or secure. You know, no one else is going to do it, so it's all on me. Or do you see this tendency towards empty glory, towards making sure that you're recognized, that you're valued, that people see you, that people lift you up, that they recognize you for the good things you've done, or at least recognize you for the good things you faked, or at least recognize you for the superficial good things that you can point to and say, I, I have one of those. Do we see that in ourselves? Do you see selfish ambition and vainglory? driving you to, to, to focus just on those things for yourself and getting that glory, getting that recognition, getting that whatever it is you need. Maybe a better question is, which of these do I not see in myself? Of course, Paul, as he always does, he doesn't just leave us there, asking us to be willing to admit that maybe the reason there's disunity in the world and in the church is not because of people out there, but, you know, it's in here. He, Paul doesn't just leave us there and say, stop doing those things. He takes us to hope and says, here's the things to start doing. Because these unity breakers, these three tendencies, these three habits of character will split and destroy a church and Paul knows that full well, so he's warning these Philippians, if you don't want it to get worse, here's the things to watch out for. But in order to get it better, here's the things to start doing, the things to build the unity makers. So let, let's turn there, find some hope. The unity makers, there's two things he brings to mind. Uh, humility in verse 3 and also looking to the needs of others in verse 4. Let's start with humility. 
Verse four, right? So verse three, he said, don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit, uh, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He introduces this different character habit of humility. And I want to make sure we define it because we, we most naturally think of humility as a kind of, well, put yourself down attitude or keep yourself humble perspective. Uh, but that's not it at all. That's false humility. Uh, true humility isn't focused on how great others are or how bad I am. True humility is just not even focused on yourself at all. It's just uh, it's understanding who you are and what you're capable of and then living into that. No more, no less. Uh, so Paul tells us, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, with a right and proper understanding of who you are, not an overinflated sense of your greatness or your goodness or your, you know, the gifts you bring to the table, nor an overly inflated sense of your weakness or your badness or the ways you hurt others, not focusing on one or the other, but in humility to count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we value others as of more worth than ourselves. Okay, so we don't go around and saying, you are worth more than me, or you are worth more than me, and you're worth more than me, or if we don't do that, you know, looking inside and just saying, I am worth nothing, I am worth nothing, I am worth nothing. That's not what he's saying here. It's not a value estimation of your, the worth of the individual, it's how we value the other individual's needs or concerns, or interests. See, humility isn't about falsely convincing ourselves that we're worse than everyone else or that they're, they're better than us. It's about caring so much for others that we're rarely even thinking of ourselves. Yesterday morning, I was on a Zoom call with all of our elders. We get together every couple of months to share concerns, pray for each other, to pray for all of you. And one of our elders was talking about his, his work, uh, which is essentially caring for people in crisis, helping them figure out next steps, and then keeping them accountable to making those things happen. And, and he was telling us that his natural tendency, because we're talking about shepherding and how do we shepherd and care for the flock that God has entrusted to us. And he was saying his natural tendency is to go to somebody and say, hey, all right, 30 seconds, lay it out, bottom line it for me. Great, thank you. Here's a couple of things you can do. When do you want to meet next? Right, I totally get that. Super efficient, and let's just address the problem, get it done. But he found himself sitting across the table from another guy who can't get out four words in 30 seconds and isn't saying anything new every time they get together, but he's sitting there realizing, I'm here to show love. Not the way that's natural for me, but the way this guy is gonna receive it and feel loved. Right, we all know it's not, a, it's not enough in a relationship to say, well, I'm expressing love. What matters is whether or not the other person is feeling loved, right? It's not love unless they actually feel loved. And so he's saying, in humility, counting this guy's concerns and needs as more important than my own, and put him first and what he needs first. That's what it means to count others as more significant than yourself. And it, it leads us directly into the second 
unity maker. If the first one is humility of having a right perspective of yourself and therefore interacting with the world that way, the, the second is in verse four, then let each of you not look, or look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't look out only for yourself, also look out for others. See, what, what builds unity, what cures selfish ambition, you know, what encourages mutual love and admiration, what destroys vainglory, it's the act of actively considering others' needs or concerns as surpassing your own. That's the kind of unity that Paul has in mind here. Looking to your own interests, yes, of course, but you don't stop there. It says, well, now that I'm taking care of, the world is great. No, you, you look to your own interests in order to help the others around you. It's like the last time you were on an airplane and you tuned out that safety uh, speech, right? It's in, in, in the event of the loss of cabin pressure, masks will fall from the ceiling. Please put on your mask first before assisting other passengers. The point isn't, now I've got my mask on, I'm fine. The point is, you've got to be ready in order to help others. You've got to take care of your own interests and so that you can take care of the interests of others. That's how humility works itself out. Caring so deeply for the concerns of those around us that, well, of course we're taking care of our own needs, but we, we live life as if the concerns of others are more important than ours. And you can see how unity thrives in a room filled with attitudes like that. If what breaks unity is a collection of people saying, I'm the most important, then what builds unity is a collection of people saying, how can I serve you? How can I, how can I help you? What do you need? Now, again, it, it's, it's important as we, we pause and think about how this works itself out in our lives to recognize that Paul doesn't just say, hey, here's the unity breakers. Here's the things that, that break down unity. Now stop. I mean, he's forceful. He says, look, don't do that. If, as you're driving down the road of life, like these are some barriers on that road. Like, Don't go that direction. But there are some things we're supposed to do. Because we don't just we never find unity by accident, right? We don't drift our way towards loving mutual care and affection for one another. We have to work for it, we have to build it, we have to make unity in our body. That's what Paul calls us to. So what work do we need to do? You know, to in humility count others as more significant than ourselves, to look also to the interests of others. A couple things came to mind as I was thinking about this for my own life. Uh, first is a, a question, something you can ask someone else. This is a, a, this is a difficult one, but if you go to someone who knows you well, a, a sibling or a spouse, uh, a parent or a, a close friend, someone in your community group, and you say, hey, when you interact with me, do you get the sense that I care about and am invested in you? Or do you get the sense that I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can start again? Because we all have people in our lives, relatives or friends, who you don't realize you're in a competition with them until you find out you're losing somehow. You, you know what I'm talking about? 
I'm sometimes afraid that's me in the friendships. And if it is, and if that's you, we got to have the guts to ask each other, hey, is, is that me? When you think of me, do you think of the word humble? I really need to know. I need to, I'm looking for something to be proud of. Yeah. Thank you. Second, second idea. This one more to help us uh, think about how do we consider the needs of others as more important than our own. The next time you are really comfortable, you know, you're doing something you enjoy. For me, it's sitting on, a, you know, sitting on the couch reading a book or something like that, and somebody interrupts you with a need. Take a look at what happens in your own heart. Ask yourself, why is this so offensive when, when your little girl asks for help reaching a, a dish in the top cupboard? And all you can think of is, we bought you a stool. Use it. What's going on inside there? And, and, and if the need that I'm trying to protect, you know, the need to be comfortable, the need to, to do what gives me life, if, if that need were delayed for one minute, how bad would it be? Like, really, what's the cost? These are the kind of questions that drive us to consider the needs of others for our own. See, Paul, as he's gone through this passage, is showing us, as he continues to point ahead towards Jesus, he's showing us, like, hey, these are the things that break down unity in the church, in your family when everybody's out for what they can get, when everybody's out to be recognized, when they're only concerned about their own interests. But if we could stop doing those things and start doing the things that, that build unity of practicing humility, considering the needs of others before our own, looking to the interests of others, then as destructive as vainglory and selfish ambition is, so much more powerful are these practices that build unity because those are the practices, the way of Jesus. Every one of the things that Paul tells us not to do finds its exact opposite in Jesus. Selfish ambition, and yet we serve the one who selflessly gave himself so that we could gain instead of him. The, the empty glory that we go looking for and we serve the one who emptied himself and at the end, finds glory at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. We look out for our interest, number one, but we follow the one who didn't consider his interests at all, but gave all of himself for us. That's the one we're called to follow. That's the, the path, the one we're called to walk. Now, I, I wish, like I think a lot of you do, I wish the problems with the world were all out there in, in someone else, that I could just easily identify the problems of the world are out there in that person or those people and then send them to an island or something like that. Because then we wouldn't really be responsible for the problem if it were all out there. We wouldn't be responsible to fix anything because the problem's not in us, it's not in me, except except it is. Someone on the internet is wrong, and that someone is me. 
come together, I think I have to look inside, and I think we all do. So let's pray. Father, every time you call us to look inward at our own sinfulness, you provide a way out. If we were to only look inside, we would be left in despair. And so we, we wait in anticipation for next week and the next parts of the story where we don't just focus inward in despair, but we focus upward to see what you have done to bring unity to our discordant souls. Even as we look inward, Father, I pray, Give us the grace to see ourselves in light of your Son and to be like the one who emptied himself for us. We pray in his name. Amen.